Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 222 of The Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Allison Shields about productivity mindset, delegation, and how to get started and succeed when getting organized. Today's podcast is brought to you by Text Expander, Arag, Ruby Receptionist, and Ring Boost. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So I'm very excited that Allison is coming back. She was <laughs> an early guest in episode 22 of the podcast, which is exactly exactly 200 episodes ago. I didn't realize that, but we did realize as we were talking that like we left that initial episode with the idea that it was part one of a two-part series and it took us four years to get back uh-huh. to it. <laughs> so we, we may want to like plant a pin in the calendar for her to at least be a yeah. guest in episode 422, <laughs> if not before. Or 2,222. Mm, interesting. <laughs> On a different note, we've mentioned in the last few weeks that we're relaunching our our Lawyerist Lab program with some new and improved offerings. And as part of that relaunch, we're also launching a scholarship program for new lawyers. Yeah. And we're really excited. We've had young lawyers at some of our earlier TBD Law events, and we've always thought it was an important part of our work to make sure that we're ushering in new and prospective solo and small firm lawyers into the Lawyerist community as early as we can in their careers to make sure that they are on a right path from the beginning. And so this scholarship program offers a free lawyerist lab membership and LabCon attendance for a law student or recent graduate somewhere in the country. Yeah, so please help us spread the word about that. You can talk about it to young lawyers and law students you know. You can talk to the Career Services Office at your alma mater, or if you are a law student, make sure they know about it. We'd love to get your application, and we hope to help make some new lawyers more successful by getting them involved in lab. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Paul Faust from RingBoost, and then my conversation with Allison. Hi, my name is Paul Faust. I am the president and co-founder of RingBoost.com, and we specialize in helping firms get great phone numbers they can use in their marketing. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. And you were telling me before we hit record about the various different types of phone numbers, which is something I really haven't thought much about, and I bet most people haven't. So maybe you could break that down and just start with why not just use a local number? Great question. I think it's really interesting that firms nowadays of all sizes, you know, they'll pick their name, their domain, their social media, their tagline, and then they let the phone company just hand them seven random digits. Mm -hmm. People don't think about their phone number as part of their strategy. What I want people to do is think about it. It's not a utility. It's a marketing tool. Then when you start thinking about phone numbers, lawyers ask me all the time, well, what do I use? A toll-free number, a local number. And so there's a few different kinds. I'll hit on them quickly. Some firms like toll-free numbers. Those are 800-888-877. There's a bunch of exchanges. And when you're looking at toll-free numbers, you could choose something that's just a great set of digits, something that ends in 1,000, 2,000, you know, 1010, or something that's got a word in it like hurt now, we fight, call 
Paul, something that ties into your brand, your name, mm -hmm. and what you do. So those in the toll-free realm, we usually look at either great vanity numbers or easy dial numbers. Is that just because you have more options in toll-free than you do when you're selecting local? Yeah, more options to find words you might like and patterns that you might like than in local. Mm -hmm. And then for some firms, they only market local. They want to appear local. They want people in their community to know they're local. And so they look at local numbers. But within local numbers, why would you pick seven random digits? Why not find something that ends in hurt, laws, 1010, something that's easy to remember in, doesn't have to be mass marketing. It could just be in a referral type situation. So with local numbers, we encourage people to find something they like that sort of easier to use. And then a kind of the third option is tracking numbers. And there's a time and a place for tracking numbers. If you're doing pay-per-click ads and your agency wants to check certain landing pages, or you're doing mailers and you want to see which ones work better. So there's really a time and a place for all type of numbers. What I encourage firms to do is think about your phone as a marketing tool, not as a utility, because I believe it could be one of your best ones. And it sounds like it can be a tracking tool as well. Like if you put up a billboard, you want to know if people are actually taking action based on it, then you throw up a separate number on your billboard. Right. And I would just encourage people that if you're going to do that, make sure it's something memorable, whether it's billboard, bus, bench, radio. Remember, consumers are out there. They're busy. They're driving. They're walking. They're getting hit with a lot of stimuli. We want something that they can you know, quickly see, recognize, and remember so you track it accurately. When it comes to everything but, say, phone calls from jail, do toll-free numbers really serve much of a purpose? I mean, long distance really isn't a thing anymore. We all just dial whatever numbers we want to from our cell phones. Uh, yes, they absolutely do. The the whole concept of sort of toll-free is less relevant now, but they're universal area codes. They work across multiple markets. There's also some other benefits. If there's situations where phone systems go down, toll-free numbers can quickly be rerouted to either a call center, uh, to a mobile phone. You also have, you know, there's less ability to block caller ID. So it's really not about toll-free anymore. Mm. You know, it's just another tool. Some firms want to use them to appear bigger or they work in multiple markets, so they didn't want one specific area code. So I really recommend firms look at all types of numbers because there's really a time and a place for all of them to be used. It sounds like the consideration is I don't want to appear local, so I'm going to get a toll-free number or I want that vanity URL. I want a word or I want uh, you know a different collection of numbers that's easier to tell someone. Absolutely. And the biggest real takeaway is spend as much time thinking about your number as a marketing tool because getting people on the phone is where you're going to make the connection, where you're going to sign them up and where you could really be you versus the digital world, which I'm a big fan of. So it's whether it's local or vanity or easy dial or tracking, it's think about your phone number as a tool, as an asset, as a marketing piece, not just as a utility like the light switch and carpet, because it could be one of your best connectors and ways to build your firm. Hey, Paul, I've got one more question that's kind of been always on my mind about tracking numbers. Okay. What do you do with them? Like, how do you transition from the tracking number to the phone number that you actually just want your clients to call once you have a relationship with them or the number that you want them to tell people how to contact you with? Right. Well, you'll see a lot of tracking numbers used, like, let's say, in pay-per-click ads where I want to yeah. track specific landing sites or mailers. But then once I have that client, if I'm the attorney there, I want to give them the number to reach me on. You got to hand it off. Yeah. Tell yeah. them, hey, if you need us again, call us on this number because I don't want to keep using that tracking number. And I want them to be able to tell their friends, hey, call me at, you know, 914 Ring Boost or something. You know, I want them to know my number, but I need just to track that media so I could follow my spends and where I should be deploying my capital. Makes sense. I've always wondered about that. So listeners, you can get 10% off of Ring Boost by visiting ringboost.com slash lawyerist. That's ringboost.com slash lawyerist for 10% off if you sign up. Thanks so much, Paul. Hey, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me.
I'm Allison Shields. I'm the president of Legal Ease Consulting. And what I do is help lawyers create more productive, profitable, and enjoyable law practices. So I am a practice management marketing productivity, business development coach and consultant for lawyers. I am a lawyer by training, but I have not practiced in quite a few years now. Uh, I took my experience as a practicing lawyer and a law firm partner and manager and rolled that into my consulting practice, trying to help lawyers really with a lot of the stuff that they don't learn in law school, how to run their business, how to find clients, how to work more effectively with those clients. Welcome back to the podcast, Allison. We started in episode 22, which feels like an unbelievably long time ago, talking about productivity. And we kind of left off in what felt like the middle of the conversation. We're only now coming back to it. So I'd like to do some of that today. This is what you do. And so I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about the work you do with lawyers. And like, how do people come to you? What is it that makes people wake up and say, I need to go talk to Allison about getting more organized and being more productive? A lot of times it's they've heard something like this, me speak on a podcast, on a webinar, at their bar association or law school or some other event, and they come back to it when they go back to their office and they realize, you know, I'm just overwhelmed. I mean, most of the time, kind of the symptom that they're experiencing is they really feel like they're just reacting and putting out fires and their practice isn't going necessarily the way they want it to. It doesn't mean that they're not doing well or making money. It's really a lot of the feeling of that stress and overwhelm, which is why my website is called Lawyer meltdown.com. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm curious though, like what, what is the final straw? You, I mean, I guess maybe it's the speech or the podcast or a blog post that provokes the epiphany, but that's always a little unsatisfying to me. Like it's, it's like starting an exercise habit. You know, what is the thing that finally gets you to start a running habit that lasts for years? Well, one day you walk out the door and it sticks and then another day it doesn't. And I'm always just trying to figure out, like, how can we help lawyers stop just saying they need to get more organized and actually take a step to start doing something about it? Is there a theme that you have identified? You know, unfortunately, not really. A lot yeah. of times what happens is that something bad happens or... It they feel like they just escape from something bad happening and they say, all right, I better do something about this because that could have really been a disaster and I need to fix it. I also end up getting a lot of clients where, you know, lawyers talk to one another about what their issues are and their problems and what they're experiencing in their practices. And so oftentimes it's, it's somebody speaking to somebody that I know or that I've worked with that says, you know, hey, Allison can really help you with this. You know, so them talking to each other I think, and identifying common issues sometimes is the trigger too. But unfortunately, oftentimes it's like, oh my God, I almost really screwed this up with this client and mm -hmm. I just can't do this anymore. I guess maybe the first step is admitting you have a problem. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think most lawyers say, I need to be more organized, but don't acknowledge that it's a problem. They just are like, oh, haha, ha, I need to get more organized. I, I need to understand technology better you know, whatever, I need more right. sleep. And it doesn't actually seem like an acute problem yet. Sometimes it's the spouse or the other people in their lives oh. who are not lawyers too, who say, you know, this doesn't work for me anymore. So you better figure it out. <laughs> you know, and I, I think the other problem is sometimes it's, it's almost a badge of honor for lawyers to be overwhelmed and too busy. And it's like people try to one up each other. Well, I was in the office this later, I've worked this many weekends in a row, uh, you know, which is really counterproductive. 
That's a really good point. I, I mean, it's true. I think that's almost an American thing, but it's definitely a lawyer thing where we equate busyness to goodness and, and being a good lawyer and a good person and a hard worker and all that. I was just reading a Reddit thread about this and it was making me depressed about the way <laughs> other people approach law practice. And instead, like, I, I wish there was more of a culture of look how few hours it took me to get this mountain of work done, which is more the productivity focus, I guess. Exactly. Okay. So somebody's taken that step and you've started working with them. What's the first thing you do to set them up for success? Like, how do you get them off on the right start? You know, usually the very first is I let them kind of vent believe it or not, and do sort of a brain dump. Like, these are all the things that I need help with. Or, you know, I'll usually start off by asking clients, what is it that you're experiencing? You know, exactly the question that you're asking me, why is it that you finally decided to pick up the phone or shoot me an email or whatever it was to to talk about working together? And I try to get them to identify all of the issues that they want to work on. And then I try to find out where the biggest pain point is to start with. And oftentimes it's just that idea of getting them organized and trying to somehow control the flow of information that comes at them so that they have a little breathing room to then step back. And I even do that before we talk about identifying what their other goals are for their business or their practice and where they want to take it. Because I find that talking about the goals piece and, and the aspirations, like this is what I want my practice to look like. This is how many clients I want to have. This is, you know, what kinds of clients I want to work with. Even though it seems counterintuitive not to start with where they want to go, that flow of information still, and now it comes in so many more forms. And it, yeah. I mean, before it was just the paper, right? Now we have the paper <laughs> and, <laughs> and the on the one hand, it's taking stock, but on the other hand, it's like you're trying to create an actual like concrete image of what the goal line is here, what you're hoping to accomplish that you can keep coming back to. Right. And so we'll definitely do that and set the expectations and talk about the goals. And But sometimes just the venting piece makes yeah. them feel like, okay, there's somebody here who can take it. So that creates a little breathing room. And then trying to figure out how we're going to control that flow of information, you know, what they can delegate to other people, how they can triage things like mail and email and their messages and things so that they have the space to then think about if I could make this look the way I want it to look instead of me always reacting to what somebody else's priorities are. You know, a lot of times there's just so much information coming at them and so many expectations and people pulling at them, whether that's clients or employees, you know, associates or whatever, even adversaries. They don't even have the brain power to think about what their priorities are. I can imagine that is an overwhelming experience, though, to kind of lay out there what the scope of your problem is and then go, well, Jesus, how am I going to tackle that whole thing? And how do you keep people from quitting at that point? Like, there's just too much work to do here. I, I'm better off just tackling things. Usually, it only takes me saying, you are not alone. This is not <laughs> unusual. You are not the worst person ever in the world or the worst <laughs> lawyer, the most disorganized. I've seen it before. It's definitely manageable. You know, you're not the only one because a lot of times some of my clients come to me because they'll they'll talk to one another. They have a close friend or or whatever. Sometimes it's another lawyer in the office who says, hey, I worked with Alice and she could probably help you, too. But other times lawyers hide it. They hide how overwhelmed they are. Sure. They talk about how busy they are because that's a badge of pride. But it's you can't acknowledge that it's also overwhelming you. That's wrong. Right. 
And no. so they don't know that they're not the only one who, who is this way. So sometimes that's all it takes to get people to keep going is just to say, hey, I've seen it before. I, this is where I think we should start. And once we start creating some breathing room, you'll see. And I usually ask people before they even start working with me, not that they have to commit to a specified number of sessions or a specified amount of time. I don't have a program that everybody goes, mm. you know, A, B, C, D. But I do tell people, look, it's going to be overwhelming in the beginning. You need to give it a little time so that we can build up the momentum so that we can start chipping away. Right. So I kind of let them lay out the elephant, <laughs> the <laughs> entire thing, and then say, okay, well, we only need to tackle this elephant, you know, one bite at a time. So how do you keep them taking bites? Because like, it's, it's easy to take that to do the first thing, or right? it's easy to go running once, it's pretty easy to go running for a week. It's a lot harder to keep going running that first morning you wake up and it's raining or snowing or something like that. Yeah. When, you know, when everything is coming at you to say, I'm going to stick to the process that we talked yep, about. You have to trust it. Yeah. It's, that's a tough thing. And it, really the way that happens, a couple of different ways. One is the fact that we have another session scheduled and they know that they're going to have to tell me whether they did or didn't do oh, what we talked about. accountability for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So that's one piece. Um, but oftentimes we also get other people in the office involved. So a lot of times I'll be working with a lawyer and, and we'll say, OK, we really need to get your assistant to participate in the session, you know, whether it's in person or, or virtual or whatever. Let's talk about this together because they can be the support for you. And they also provide accountability. Like we said, we weren't going to do this this way. You know, we, we laid out these parameters for when we're interviewing a prospective client and this person doesn't check the boxes, we need to be comfortable saying that they're not the right client for us. And a lot of times the staff person, because they're the person who's there every day, right? I'm, on, I'm not there every day. Um, that person will help with the accountability. I need to take a quick break to let our listeners hear from our sponsors. But before we do, I neglected to mention up front that you have your own book on this subject, which is How to Do More in Less Time. We mentioned it in the last podcast. We should mention it again here, and we'll include the link in the show notes. But that's where a lot of your own system and ideas come into play. And so we're going to take a quick break, and we come back. I want to talk to you more about books and systems that you might recommend. So we'll be right back. With Text Expander, you can use gathered snippets of information as you type using a keyboard shortcut or custom abbreviations. Don't waste time typing out things you've already worded perfectly. Capture the important pieces of your emails, directions, messages, and data so you never have to retype them again. From correcting your personal typos and defining industry terms to whole email templates, reusing your info has never been faster and it works everywhere you type. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Lawyerist Podcast listeners can get 20% off their first year by visiting textexpander.com podcast. So visit textexpander.com podcast to learn more about Text Expander and claim your discount. How cool would it be to grow your practice in your chosen area of law without spending time or money on business development? Now you can with ARAG. ARAG is a leader in legal insurance, and it works a lot like medical insurance. When you become a provider on the ARAG network, you consult with and represent clients for various legal issues, from writing a will to dealing with bankruptcy or divorce. 
Arag does the rest, seriously. They'll connect you with new clients, they'll pay you directly, they'll even collect client feedback and share it with you so you can keep growing your business. Visit araglegal.com slash lawyerist, that's A-R-A-G legal.com slash lawyerist to join the network for no fee and start growing your practice. And it is all about the growth. In fact, more than 90% of Arag members say they are more likely to consult with an attorney when something goes up than if they didn't have legal insurance. Check it out at araglegal.com slash lawyerist. That's A-R-A-G legal.com slash lawyerist. Support for today's episode comes from Ruby Receptionists, helping legal professionals like you deliver legendary service and grow your practice with live receptionist and chat services. At a fraction of the cost of a full-time hire, Ruby's live U.S.-based team greets your clients personally when they call or visit your website. Ruby can route calls to you or connect chats to call based on your customized directions. Your live receptionist can collect new client intake, answer frequently asked questions, and make follow-up calls. Ruby streamlines billing with call tracking and Clio Rocket Matter and Clio Grow integrations. Ruby can send messages to you via the mobile app, email, or text, and much more, helping you grow your firm. Thousands of solo and small firm attorneys across the country rely on Ruby to turn callers and website visitors into clients. And now you can try Ruby for free. Call 844-715-7829 today or visit callruby.com slash lawyeristpodcast to get started with your 14-day free trial. That's 844-715-7829 or callruby.com slash lawyeristpodcast. Okay, we're back. So Allison, we left off talking about accountability and how important that is to helping people keep going, whether it's to you, to a staff person, or some people are able to just hold themselves accountable. But do you have a book or a system that you recommend to get people going? Like getting things done is the productivity system that finally got me organized. I don't know. What do you, what do you recommend where people start? Well, I mean, you mentioned my book. My book has sort of, as you mentioned, my philosophy or the way I approach things, which is taking kind of a little bit bits and pieces from a lot of these different places. So I, I love getting things done. There's a book that I use all the time called The Myth of Multitasking that has a lot of good tips and ideas in there about, you know, trying to get focused and, and get organized in terms of how you're managing yourself and, and your staff so that you're not being pulled in 9,000 different directions all at once. But I don't really subscribe to the fact that there's a one-size-fits-all. So getting things done, there are pieces of it that I think work for a lot of my clients. There are pieces of it that people say just don't work for them. Yeah. So I really try not to take a one-size-fits-all approach. And when I work with my clients, a lot of times we talk about the fact that there's going to be a little trial and error with some of this stuff. You know, so I could tell you all day long, this is, this is the system and this is what you should be doing, but not everybody's brain works the same way. Not everybody works the same. I mean, we were all different people. How do you get that message across though to lawyers who, if it's not a legal question, I think a lot of lawyers just tend to want the answer. They do. And that's not the answer, right? That's an, it depends answer, which is a little bit harder to absorb when it feels like it's a solution you should just be able to get. Right. And, you know, some of it is is trying these different things on for a period of time. I mean, you can't start something, you know, one day, you know, like you said, okay, I go running once and then, okay, I I didn't lose the weight, so I'm going to quit. It doesn't work that way. It's a it's a process. But you also have to identify and recognize when yeah, I'm just never going to do that. I just hate running. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I can't exercise and lose weight. Maybe I, I like to dance. And so I'm going to do gotcha. that yep. instead of running. 
you know, so running may be great form of exercise, but it's not for everybody. And and I think the same thing goes for some of the approach to getting organized and being productive. I mean, I could tell people all day long, do not look at your email first thing in the morning. There are some people that will never <laughs> be able to do that. They just can't they help just have to figure out a way to do it with that. I right. guess the flip side though is like, how do you get, avoid getting lost in playing with your productivity system? Because like almost everyone who read Getting Things Done and tried to put it into practice, I spent most of a year probably trying out different software and notebooks and pens and tweaking the way I did my lists and trying different bullets to indicate what stages they were in. And, and I finally just relaxed and did it. And, and like you said, I, I've tweaked it so that it suits me better than, than the way it's written out in the book. But like, I lost a lot of productivity in there playing around with productivity. Right. And I think that's one of the advantages of working with somebody who can say, Hey, like, the time for playing is over. If this is working, let's just stick with it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, I mean, look, you're somebody who's, who's probably a little more into the productivity itself, just right. the way your mind <laughs> works true. and what you, and so you're like me, I mean, I'll test out different things in part to see for clients if they work and in, in part for me, but that's part of what I do. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, as a lawyer, I think a lot of times when they start finding things that work, they're more apt to stick with them because they don't want to get lost in the productivity. They, they want to do the work that's going to get them paid. <laughs> that seems likely, yeah. <laughs> so we've been talking about how to get yourself organized, but I'm curious, uh, I'm curious about how it works in a team. Like let's say you're a boss or a manager and you accidentally got a glimpse of your staff members' inboxes and see thousands of emails. Or when you look into your case management or your project management software, nobody's checking off tasks or moving cards or, or else they're not meeting their deadlines. It's hard to tell because nobody's telling you what they've completed. Like, how do you get everyone at the firm to practice good personal productivity so that you can have that firm-based, you know, the project management software side of things or the, how do you keep that going? So, I mean, it's similar to, to the way I'm working with my clients one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like I can't just tell them what to do and then hope that they're going to do it. That accountability piece is big. So there has to be communication. There has to be monitoring. And part of that communication is to get the input of the staff people, mm -hmm. you know, instead of just saying to them, okay, this is what you have to do, go and do it. And then how come you're not doing it? Or I see that you're not doing it. You need to do it. There needs to be more of a conversation. And I think that in teams, a lot of times that doesn't happen. Like, hey, I see that that's not happening. Can you tell me what the problem is? You know, are you not meeting the deadlines or did you just not move the cards? And if you're not moving the cards, why not? Is it just another thing that you need to do? Like where, where is the obstacle? What's getting in the way? And is there a way that we can remove that? Or is it just like any other habit when you're first developing it, you're going to fall off the wagon sometimes and you may need more reminders in the beginning until it becomes a regular mm. part of your workflow. I, I like the idea of treating it as, you know, what's the obstacle first, not are you just a bad person or a bad employee? Right. <laughs> right. Are you just being difficult on purpose? Or, you know, maybe there's a reason why. Is It does doing that in the way that we've set it up. Is it interrupt your workflow so that you feel like you're less productive? Or is it creating a problem for you? Are you having maybe the technology is not working properly? May, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why things might not be getting mm -hmm. done. You know, it's like the problem in, in law firms for years and years with associates 
associates and like trying to get their timesheets in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, what was the reason why? Well, I have to stop and I have to write it down and I have to do this and I have to do that. There's a lot less problems with the software that we have now that will automatically keep track of how much time you've spent and, and you know, populate very easily who the client is and what the task is and all that. And you only have to add a little bit instead of stopping and writing on that timesheet and then type it, having somebody type it in and all those other things. Sure. So I think identifying where the problems are and why that person isn't doing what you think they should be doing, you may find a better way of doing it. What about when it's not the firm manager who sees the problem, but what's probably maybe more typical where it's the staff person who wishes that the lawyer or, or a junior associate or whatever, who is the senior lawyer is driving them crazy because they're so disorganized. How do you go up the chain? Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one if you're, if you're on your own. I mean, you hope that you've got a team that respects one another and that the people who are the supervisors also respect the people that they're supervising enough to listen to them. I think it's about creating a conversation around, well, what was the goal or why did we put this into place and reminding the end game, you know, reminding that lawyer or that supervisor, like this is going to make us more productive or this is going to get the bills out totally. faster or help us get paid faster. And the same thing goes the other way too. Sometimes you can, if you have a discussion with the staff, member who who may be the one who's not doing what they're supposed to do around why does it benefit them you know especially if you're teaching them something new or asking them to use a new piece of software or whatever it's like well how is this going to benefit you how is this going to make your job easier um, that creates more buy-in um, and I think buy-in is is the key even going up the chain yeah, no. of course. If you can't get everybody on the same page, like, I guess it's sort of, you need to have a, a meeting or a series of conversations where you get everyone to acknowledge that there's a problem. And then you start in on that process of trying to see what, what could this firm look like and do, isn't that something that we want to happen? Right. Before we close, maybe we could cover in quick fire fashion, you know, let's say, what are your top one or two or three productivity tips that most people listening could be able to benefit from? Well, I mean, one of the ones that I really like is what I call the power of three, because I think we get overwhelmed with these to-do lists. You've got a to-do list that has 10 billion things on it and it only gets longer. It mm -hmm. never gets any shorter. Uh, and so I like to focus my clients on every day, what are the three most important things that you need to get done today? And sort of trying to mm -hmm. focus on and start with those things because you're never going to get everything done. If everything's done, then it means you don't have any more work. And when, where's the next money going to come from, right? <laughs> right? So we need to stop thinking that you're ever going to get everything done. And thinking about the entire list of things is, gets very overwhelming. And so learning to prioritize and focus on those three and saying, when you leave the office at the end of the day, hey, I got those three things done. I have 48 more things that I could do, but at least I feel like I had a productive day and, and I did really what I needed to do. That is definitely one of my favorite things too. Yeah. And I think triaging the flow of information, figuring out how you can do that, whether that's having staff look at emails or mail or things that come in first to weed out the nonsense or doing it on your own to say, how am I going to triage mm -hmm. this to flag what's important and what really needs to be taken care of and not get bogged down in all of the other stuff that might be either less important or interesting to read, but n not my focus right now. Oh, so like when you're looking at your email inbox and there's 200 emails in there, that's super overwhelming until you realize that you could just straight up delete 75 of them or 150 of them by just looking at the subject lines. Right. 
you know, and I think there's a lot of that almost fear of missing out with, with newsletters and right. all the other kind of information that comes in. And I tell people all the time, same thing with the periodicals, you know, like you get journals from your bar association or whatever. And I tell people, look, if you haven't looked at it, just toss it. The same information is going to either get recycled or there's going to be a new <laughs> case in, in your area of law that's going to come out a month from now. And so this, this one's not going to be as important. Like there's, and the same thing in your email, if you're not getting to it during your, you know, I like to designate some time to, to read and for professional development and things, but you don't need to go back three years. Right. You, know, you look at the most recent one and just kind of get over it. You know, that, that makes sense. Good enough is good enough piece. You one, know? Of, one of the, my favorite things, I was just talking about this randomly the other day to a friend who was complaining about the number of bar journals and magazines and things he gets because he's a member of the local bar association and the state bar association and the ABA and I, I was saying, you know, one of the nicest things I ever did for myself was give myself permission to just flip through those and then call it done. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I read the section that talks about what everybody's doing, you know, sort yep. of the bar news so that I'm up on if there's a client or, you know, I get an idea of who's doing what and the substantive articles. If I don't get to them, I don't get to them. I, you know, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, any more tips? Oh, there's tons of tips. <laughs> um, any favorites? You know, I mentioned the... Um, Sort of that idea of good enough is good enough. That's yeah. another one. I think lawyers tend to be perfectionists and you have to realize when it's it's time to ship, for lack of a better word, that not everything is going to be perfect, that not everything has to be perfect or should be perfect. And you need to know when it's when it's time to move on and not spend any more time or resources or energy, whether that's on a particular client or a, a particular task or an employee. Mm -hmm. I, I guess know? I'll share one that we've been uh, working on, which is the way we're phrasing it is find the lever. Um, and this is our version of the 80-20 principle, uh, which if people aren't familiar, in most systems, you'll find that 20% of the work produces 80% of the results. And the, the remaining 80% of the work only produces 20% of the results. And that's almost universally true, whether the number is exactly 80-20 or not. That's called the Pareto principle, which most of us learned about in law school. But we've tried to really embrace that and say, look, we are a small team. We can only do 20% of the work, but we need those 80% of the results. So which was the 20% of the work that will produce those results? And, and let's pull on that lever instead of doing the other 80% of the work that we just aren't staffed to do. Right. And so we've really tried to embrace that idea and find those levers and, and use that leverage. And I think it's freeing to be like, oh, I don't have to do all of the things. I just have to find the one or two things that make the difference. And I think you can apply that even to things like brief writing. So yeah, absolutely. You know, let's identify what are the strongest arguments, right? Mm -hmm. And let's focus on those arguments. And instead of the inclination is to throw everything in because, you know, the judge might key on this one little thing that we didn't think was that important. But yeah. when I was teaching legal writing, I called it pick a horse and ride it. <laughs> Don't try to ride all the horses. It doesn't work. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Allison, thank you so much for being with us again. Welcome back. And if people want to read your book or visit your website, we'll have those links in the show notes. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you, Sam. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast.
The Lawyerist podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Oh, oh, oh.